Thank you, Fred, music team. Thank you, Zach. I want to add my welcome to Zach's. My name's Kevin. I'm the pastor here, and uh, so glad that you are here with us this morning to worship. We have been uh, walking through the book of Proverbs. Uh, that's, that was our summer series, uh, or a series that we started back in the summer. Uh, and we'll probably do a couple of more sermons in Proverbs uh, when we get to, before we get to the, uh, the season of Advent. Um, but we're going to uh, take a break for just a, a month, and we're going to do a, a, a mini-series called Servants and Shepherds. Because at the end of this month, we will begin nominating new elders and deacons, new leadership for our church. Uh, and it's been uh, a couple of years since we've done this. And so we thought it was a good idea to spend the month leading up to those nominations talking about leadership and what leadership looks like in the church. Right? There's, there's all kinds of models for leadership out there on display uh, but how does Jesus model leadership for us in the Bible? What, what should a Christian leader look like? Uh, and so we're going to spend the month, uh, the month going through this as a sermon series. We're also going to dedicate this month in prayer to this, uh, to this topic of leadership. Uh, so we're going to use uh, the, the sermon passages, the sermons that, uh, that I'll be preaching uh, as uh, focus areas for prayer that God would raise up leaders like the Bible describes. And so uh, if you're a part of Grace Fellowship, a member of Grace Fellowship, we invite you to join us in praying this month for leaders. Uh, and if you want to do that as a group specifically, we have two prayer times during the week. One is on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, uh, and then the other is on Wednesday afternoons at 4 30. So if you would want to join us for either one of those times, those are open prayer meetings that anyone can come to, and we would love to have you join us. So uh, why servants and shepherds? Why is, uh, why is it called that? Well, uh, the church only has one king, and his name is Jesus. And yet when Jesus describes himself, he describes himself as a servant, that he came to give his life. He came not to be served, but to serve. So Jesus comes as the suffering servant, and he also describes himself as the good shepherd, the one who looks out for the needs of God's people. So anyone who would lead in Jesus' church must embody the, the role of a servant and a shepherd. So that's why we're using those terms. Uh, so where do we start? Uh, where do we begin? Well, we start with the heart. We start by looking at our identity. What is it that we're all about? What is it that drives us? And to that end, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to turn there, uh, if, you didn't, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. There should be one in the, in the chair in front of you. You can grab that. Uh, Philippians 3 is, should be found on page 981. And again, we're looking at this question of identity. What is it that drives us? What is it that propels us? What, what are we all about? Let's hear what Paul has to say. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word, and like him it is good, and it's true. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you reveal to us... Where we, where we are putting trust, where we have confidence. Is it in our flesh or is it in our Lord Jesus? Help us to understand what it is you're saying here. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we jump in, so, so what Paul is doing is he's showing us very dramatically with his own story, with his own life, that there are two ways to live. Uh, he talks about confidence in the flesh, right? Trust in the flesh or boasting or glorying in Christ alone. So those are, the, those are the two ways to live. But to get there, we need to understand a little bit of the background. What's going on behind what Paul is saying? Uh, so Paul lived in the first century. He's writing this letter to a group of people uh, that were following Jesus in the city of Philippi. Okay, uh, and remember that uh, when Christianity began, it began within the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jewish man. Uh, Peter, James, John, Paul, all of the early leaders of the church were Jewish. But we see in the book of Acts that this message about Jesus was never intended, right? Jesus's intention for the gospel was not just to stay with the Jews, but was to move out to the non-Jews or the Gentiles. Now, we don't think much about this. That seems very far removed from where we are. But this was a big deal. Because all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 17, God had given a sign to a man named Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish people. And that sign was circumcision. And what that sign meant, that was a sign of God's promise to Abraham that he would be his God. And that he would be God to Abraham's children, his sons and daughters after him. Okay? 
And they were to keep this sign, this mark of God's grace to them. That was a sign that they belonged to God's people. All right, so that's circumcision. So here, here comes the problem. When we move into the first century A.D., this message about Jesus, this Jewish Savior, has moved out into the non-Jews, the uncircumcised people. And the question very quickly became, well, can they be a part of God's people without keeping Jewish law, without taking on circumcision? Okay? In other words, and this is why it's a big deal, can you be saved simply by trusting in Jesus or... Do you have to trust in Jesus plus something else? That was the dilemma. And it was very clearly answered in the book of Acts and in the letter to the Galatians and to Romans and to all the other places, right? Uh, It was very clearly answered, no. Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. But there were a group of people that this did not make very happy. And they followed Paul. They went all these places where Paul went and established churches. They came in behind him. And scholars now, they call them Judaizers. And what these Judaizers did is what they, they would come in and they would say, yes, 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 believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Jewish food laws, right? You need to obey all the laws of Moses so that you can be part of God's people. So what they were offering wasn't simply Jesus alone, they were offering Jesus plus. Now, we love plus. We love Disney plus, we love Hulu plus, we love ESPN plus, right? But here's the problem with plus when it comes to salvation. If Jesus isn't enough, and that's, that's really the question, and, and Paul would even say it's not even, it's not even a gospel, it's a false gospel, Because Jesus is either enough or he isn't. Think about it. Uh, If you're going to be made right with God and Jesus only gets you about 80 to 90% of the way there, who has to make up the difference? You do. Does that sound like good news? We've heard earlier that it's not good news, right? And so what Jesus plus actually turns into is really just you. It's a, it's a gospel of salvation by you. So it's a, it's, a, it's a completely opposite direction. It's really not Jesus plus at all. It's really just you. It's a salvation by works as opposed to a salvation by grace in Christ alone. And so you can understand why Paul's language is so strong at the beginning of Philippians 3 when he calls these opponents dogs, evildoers, and mutilators. Right? Because what they were saying was they, they took that, that mark of God's grace, circumcision, and they turned it into a badge of pride. They said, we're God's people, you're not. So in order to become God's people, you need to take on this mark. And so Paul, Paul's angry, and rightly so, because he realizes that these people are leading the church astray. These people are leading the the church away from Jesus into something else. And so Paul warns them very sternly, look out. Watch out for these dogs, these unclean people. He uses these, while he is angry, he uses his terms very clearly. He says, they're not the circumcision, they're the mutilation. We are the circumcision. We are the true people of God. Look at verse 3. How can he say they are the true people of God? We are the circumcision, and here's how we know. 
We worship by the Spirit of God. That means God's Spirit is in us. And then he says this, And we glory or boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Put no trust in the flesh. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Because that's where Paul goes next, right? Um, we want leaders and we want to be people whose confidence comes not from our performance, not from our flesh, but from the glory of Jesus. And so we're going to look at this under two headings. First, to put no trust in the flesh. And then second, to boast only in Christ and these two ways to live. So look again at Philippians 3. Paul says, we're the people who put no trust in the flesh. And then in verse 4 he says, but... If anybody has reason to boast in the flesh, to have confidence in his flesh, I do. In fact, if anybody thinks they have more, just just listen to me. All right, Paul Paul reminds me, uh, so one of my favorite comedians is Brian Regan. uh, And one of my favorite Brian Regan sketches is is called the Me Monster. Uh, and, And Regan points out that the Me Monster is that person who always comes into the conversation like, you know, and wants to one up you. Right. They're always they're always saying something to like you, me, you, me. Right. They, they've always got something better to say than what you had to say. He says, the problem is then, then the guy, then the guy who walked on the moon comes along. Can't top him. Right. He's the ultimate me monster because, I mean, he walked on the moon. Right. You can't top the guy who walked on the moon. Well, Paul is saying you can't top me. You want to you want to trust in your flesh. You want to trust in what you can accomplish. Come at me, bro. Right? Paul points to two things. One, he points to his privileges, the the, the family that he was born into, and he points to his his choices, uh, the the things that he did. He begins with his privileges, right? He says, if anybody has reason for uh, for confidence, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, so my parents were faithful Jews uh, of the the people of Israel, right? I'm no half-breed. In fact, uh, I belong to the tribe of Benjamin, right? This isn't one of those hick tribes out in the country. We had a king come from our line. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and where the, the semicolon is, there should be an exclamation point. What Paul is saying about his privileges, about his pedigree, the things he was given by birth, is that it's impeccable, right? This is, uh, as Zach said in our staff meeting this week, Paul ain't no pound puppy, Right? Like, if anybody's going to win the ribbon for best in show, Paul is. He's, he's as purebred as they come. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to his accomplishments. He says, about my training, I'm a Pharisee. Right? So if you said, well, I, you know, I went to law school at the, the University of Alabama, Paul would have said, I went to Harvard. Right? My, I had the best training. You couldn't get any better training than what Paul God, he was a Pharisee. How about his spiritual commitment? Was he a passionate guy? Yeah, he says, as to zeal, I persecuted the church. I was so passionate about the cause of God that I killed people. I arrested and killed people that I believed were enemies of God. You want to talk about passion? Right, Paul's got any charismatic beat, right? He's, he is more zealous, okay? How about his way of life? He says, well, as far as the law goes... I was blameless, not sinless, blameless. That means Paul was a good guy. 
There was no charge you could bring against him. He did everything right. He was a Boy Scout, okay? Uh, So Paul's accomplishments, again, were second to none. No matter how you look at Paul, he's no slouch. By pedigree and accomplishment, he's got everything. But how does he look at those things? How does he count those things? And, and Paul does a little bit of accounting here, right? Uh, I'm not an accountant. I'm not very good at math. Um, but, right, what you do is you, you look at your assets and your liabilities, gains and losses. What's working for me? What's working against me? And if we look at Paul's life just on the face of it, he's got every, he's got every gain we would want. Everything is going for Paul. But when Paul does his accounting, when he counts everything up, look at what he says. In verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul looks at this amazing record of his own, and he says, loss, no gain, loss. He goes even further. Indeed, I count everything as loss, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. All right? So Paul looks at all of those things that would have made him be this great guy. Uh, Pastor Randy Pope says that um, when we think about self-righteous people, we often think about like the boasting, haughty, arrogant, self-righteous. Like nobody likes a self-righteous person. But actually, we do like self-righteous people, the normal self-righteous people. They mow their grass. Their kids are well-behaved, right? They, um, everybody who doesn't mow their grass just feels really bad right now, um, right? Everything about, like, we want our kids to play with their kids. We want to stand in line behind them at the store because they're not going to make a scene, right? Like, like we actually do like people who have their acts put, to, put together. But Paul says, everything that I would have put my confidence in, I count it as a loss. So if that's true, if he has no trust in his own accomplishments and identity, if his boast isn't there, then where is it? And he says in verses 7 and 8, right, Uh, in Christ, in knowing Christ alone. In fact, he even says, For his sake I've suffered, this is the end of verse 8, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, you need to know that when Paul wrote that, that would have made uh, your great aunt Sue and your Sunday school teacher blush. Because this is a a pretty sanitized version we have here, rubbish. The word means dung, excrement, but like the foul version of that word. That's Paul's view of his own righteousness. Paul looks at all his good stuff and he says, nah, it's as good as what needs to be flushed down the toilet. That's how extreme, that's how strong Paul is on this. It's all done when you compare it with the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And I want you to notice this. Christianity is not following a system. Christianity is not simply following another system of religion. Christianity is knowing a person. Parents, grandparents, I know we we want our children to do right and not do wrong. We want them to not lie. We want them to tell the truth, right? So 
Morality is important. But what we want them to know before they leave our homes is not a system. Systems are easily discarded in favor of other systems that look just as good. Children, teenagers, what we want you to know is a person. We want you to have Paul's vision of Jesus. That a person whose worth is so surpassing, so exceeding, that when compared with anything else, you just go, hmm, that ain't much. We want you, we want you to know a person, not a system. What does that do? What do we gain in knowing Christ? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 9. One of the things he gains, he says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. All right, so faith is opposed to the law. Faith is trusting instead of doing, resting instead of working. Okay? What's Paul saying? He's saying uh, that the first thing we gain from Jesus is his righteousness. The fancy word for this is justification. And it means that Jesus' record becomes yours and your record becomes Jesus's. You swap places. Jesus takes your record to the cross and you receive his righteous record. All right, so it's, uh, it's like uh, my friend Chris who goes to the gym on a regular basis. Uh, it's like if, if Chris goes to the gym and works out, but I receive all the benefit. Right, so, so wouldn't that be great if you had a substitute who could do that? Right, he goes, he goes into the gym, he does all the squats, the bench presses, the pull-ups, you know. Like he does everything, and I get better muscle tone and cardiovascular health and strength, and stamina, wouldn't that be awesome? That's, that's what we have in Jesus. Jesus does all the work, we get all the benefit. That's justification. He does all the work, that righteousness before God, and we simply receive it by faith. We rest in him. But that's not the only game. Then in verse 10, he says that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now Paul's talking about sanctification, or the way of the Christian life, becoming more like Jesus. And how does that happen? And we're actually going to talk more about this in another sermon, but how does it happen? Through death and resurrection. Jesus says, yes, but Jesus says to everybody who would follow me, you must take up your cross. We too have to die. We, too, have to be raised to newness of life. So, so the, the path for the Christian life, right, we're, we're looking at two maps here. The map that Paul first lays out is what Paul Miller calls the failure boasting chart, right? We're always boasting. We're always trying to work our way up the ladder, right? I've got one more thing, right? It's, it's the me monster, you, me. I'm always boasting. I always want to get up, okay? The, the map for the Christian, the person in Christ... Is a, is a J. It goes down into death and up into life. That means that, that suffering is not a surprise. It's the way that we become more like Jesus. Loss is not a surprise. It's the way that we become more like Jesus because it's the way that he went. And so we're going to talk more about that. That's a crucial dynamic for us to understand in the Christian life because we, we want this map. 
we always want to go up. We want, we want it to get better and better and better. And, and the path of following Jesus is one that goes down. Now, there is, a, there is an up at the end. And Paul says also that in verse 11, right? By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So trusting in the work of Jesus is not only the beginning of the Christian life, but it's what sustains you all the way through to the end. What we call justification, sanctification, glorification, the very end, right? When you arrive uh, in heaven, you won't stand any more on your work than you already do. It'll be the work of Jesus. He's, look, if you, if, you wanted, if you want to go get in the White House, if you want to go have a meeting with the president, I, I may be the first person to tell you this, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. I don't know of anybody in here who has those kind of connections, right? You'll have to have the work of another. And that's exactly what the gospel offers you. The work of another that gets you all the way home. All right? Beginning, middle, and end. It's all in Jesus. So, we want to be those people who put no trust in the flesh, right? We want to get off this failure-boasting slide. Discard it. It's rubbish. It's junk. And we want, to, we want to boast in Jesus. We want to glory in Jesus. That's what that word boast means. To boast in something is to glory in something, to, to find satisfaction and joy in it. And here's what we see. You're going to boast in something. Every single one of us is made to glory in something, to find our satisfaction and joy in something. What is that thing for you? What are you boasting in this morning? What is your boast? Where is your confidence? A good way to figure that out. What part of your life, when it's threatened, causes you to lose all hope and joy? You might be close to figuring out what it is you're trusting in, apart from Christ. How do I know? How do I know if I'm boasting in myself or in Christ? Well, think about it in terms of marketing. Who do you market more? That's all boasting is, right? It's marketing. Do I market myself or do I market Jesus? Am I always talking about myself or him? Who do I market more? Uh, Who or what is the theme of your song? I know, even those of you who don't sing out loud in church, you sing at some point, probably in the car, in the shower, right? Who, who is the theme of that narrative or song in your head? Is it you or is it Christ? Do you feel, Zach mentioned this earlier, do you feel stuck? Do you feel like you're on this religious hamster wheel of performance? I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Oh, I failed again. All right, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm good. Oh, I failed again, right? Is that the way that you relate to God on this hamster wheel of performance? The gospel says you can get off the hamster wheel. You don't have to please God. Jesus has done that for you. I know that sounds crazy. Because nothing else in life works that way. Nobody goes to the gym and benefits somebody else. But the gospel, it doesn't, the gospel, that's why the gospel is supernatural, because it doesn't work the way that we think it should. We're freed from the need to perform for God, because Jesus has already performed for us. It's what we sang at the beginning of the service. 
O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. Are you weary? Are you tired of trying for God and feeling like you're getting nowhere? Then stop trying and rest in Christ. Don't flee from the cross, right? O cross that liftest up my head. You don't have to look down in utter shame. O cross that liftest up my head. I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead. Right? That's what Paul's doing. All of life's glory. Lay it down. I lay in dust life's glory dead. And from the ground there blossoms red. Life that shall endless be. That's the difference. And it makes all the difference in the world. This is, this is the gospel, friends. Rejecting confidence in ourselves and placing it in the hands of another. Not just once, but again and again and again. Right? Trusting in Christ is like climbing a, a spiral staircase. You're not moving anywhere on the map. right? You're, you're covering the same territory again and again, but you're always moving upward. It's always taking you higher and higher. So, what staircase are you on? Have you trusted in the work of Christ and Christ alone? Those are the kind of people we're looking for. If that's new to you this morning, if this is the first time you've heard news that good, let's talk. I want to talk after the service. Let's, let's talk about what this means for your life what it means to follow Jesus when you're not on the hamster wheel. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come now to the table, we thank you for the work of grace that you've given us in Jesus. And God, we pray uh, that you would apply it to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would use uh, this simple bread and this simple juice uh, for our spiritual nourishment and benefit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so excited that we can actually...